Take your Bible and turn with me to Exodus chapter 3 tonight, if you would, Exodus chapter 3, and appreciate that good singing, and appreciate this good crowd of young folks tonight, and uh, such a handsome group of young men, and such a beautiful auditorium to hold the meeting in. All right, wake up now. All right, it's good to be here tonight anyway. It was until then, but it's good to be here tonight. Exodus chapter 3, I appreciate all the work and all the prayer that's gone into the meeting, all the uh, design for the set behind us, all the skit preparation, all the prayer. Appreciate all of you pastors and youth pastors and parents for driving here and bringing your uh, young people. And uh, I tell you, it's worth every mile. It's worth every dollar spent. It's worth all the all the headache of having teenagers at fast food restaurants on the way there and the way home, I know. Uh, but it's worth it if God just speaks to one person. And I'm praying God will. And uh, what a crowd. I'm telling you, I hope the fire marshal doesn't. Well, I hope he comes. I want everybody to come to church. But I hope he lets us finish the service. I heard a story about a young a rookie policeman who was riding his first time out in a car with a veteran policeman. And a call came over the car, uh, the radio. And they said, there's a, a crowd of loiterers on a certain street. We want you to go break up the crowd. And they sped over to that street. And that new rookie wanted to impress the veteran policeman. He saw a crowd of people gathered, and he put down his window and started screaming. and said, hey! move along, move along. And the crowd kind of looked at him strange and began to separate. And he said, how'd I do? He said, well, fine, but that was a bus stop. The crowd is down there. But anyway, it's a good crowd of people. We'll let you stay in. If you're able to stand, stand Exodus chapter 3. We'll read verse number 1 down through verse number 12. It's good to see many different people that I know from traveling around. I'm glad that you're here in Kentucky. I'm glad. It, 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 it's funny. I was talking to Brother Davis yesterday, and we were talking about the meeting, and I said, well, we're already ahead of last year. He said, what do you mean? I said, we're not going to have a blizzard. Amen. And then my wife, my wife left the house this morning. She said, uh, it's flirting outside. I thought you got to be kidding me. But anyway, it's turned out pretty good so far. Now, when we leave, there could be two feet of snow. You never know. Exodus chapter 3, verse number 1. The Bible said, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayst bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that... I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. I want to draw your attention back to verse number 5. Where the Bible said, and He said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Do you ever wonder why it is God uses some people in a great way and other folks, they're just as saved, but it seems like nothing much happens in their life for God? 
You ever wonder why it is that all of us have the same potential as Moses, but not many make it to be a Moses person in their life? You ever wonder what that dividing line is or what that distinction is that makes one person a giant for God and one person just a menial Christian, if that? I think the answer is in verse number 5. And for just a little while this evening, I want to share with you just the thought that God laid on my heart probably about two days ago. And here's the thought. Take your shoes off. Take your shoes off. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you bless this message tonight. I pray you'd speak to the hearts of these young men and young women. And God, I pray you'd help us, Lord, to understand that it's the little things that make big things happen. And I pray you'd help us to have a desire to be humble enough and obedient enough to obey you in the least things, the little things, so that we can one day do bigger things down the road. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It's been said on how small an incident the greatest results may hinge. The pivots of history are microscopic. We serve a big God. There's no God like our God. Uh, there is no God as powerful as our God. Our God is the everlasting God. Our God is the omnipotent God. Our God is the one true God. We serve a big God. Our God is bigger than Buddha. We serve a big God. Our God is bigger than Allah. He's a big God. Our God is bigger than Hillary. He's even bigger than Trump. His mouth might not be, but he's bigger than Trump. And I'm glad tonight that we don't rally around some anemic, little, limited, weak, tired, worn out, or dead God. But we rally tonight around the one true God that occupies forever that throne in heaven. He's a big God. We serve a big God. He created everything out of nothing. We serve a big God. He sculpted the expanse of space by His Word. Our God is a big God. He created everything that's ever been, all that is, and everything that ever will be. It all consists in our God. He's a big God. Our God created everything that's living. The angels in heaven, the seraphim, and the cherubim were all created by God. God created all the plants and all the animals. He created man from the dust of the ground. We serve a big God. I heard the story about a young preacher. He took his first church after graduating from a seminary. I always accidentally almost say cemetery, but he said graduated from a seminary. And they polished him up real good, and they took the fire from his preaching, and he was a little bit more professional as delivery, and he wanted to impress his first congregation. And he got behind the pulpit to preach from Exodus chapter 14, and the verse that says, And Israel saw the Egyptians slain on the seashore. As he read that one verse of Scripture, God began to deal with him. And I'll tell you, you better be careful when you go to preach and open up your Bible. God might get a hold of you. And God began to work and stir in this heart. And he said, folks, I'm sorry. I was going to try to quote the verse with perfect tenor and pitch. He said, but I think I'd rather just give a commentary on it instead. And here's what I'd like to say from that verse. Our God's a big God and can't nobody whoop him. I like that. Every mountain that rises into the sky, our God put it there. Every drop of water that fills the oceans, our God put it there. Uh, every river that courses through the dry ground, our God put it there. We serve a big God. Exodus 15 verse 3 says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? We serve a big God. He's everywhere present and nowhere absent. He's a big God. His mercies are new every morning and they're never diminished. He's a big God. We serve a big God. There's always more grace from Him than what there is sin in me. I'm glad for that. He's a big God. 
our God robed himself in flesh and he died upon a cross so that one day we could veil ourselves in the righteousness of God and we never have to taste the bitterness of death. He's a big God. Our big God died, but the grave couldn't hold him. Three days after dying, he stepped forth on resurrection ground and he had victory over death, hell, and the grave. He's a big God. He's mighty to save. He possesses all power. He can do exceedingly, abundantly above all you could even ask or think. He is a big God. Moses is very familiar to anybody who knows their Bible. The life of Moses sort of serves like a lesson in the providence and plan of God in an individual's life. But it also gives us a great example of what God can do through a single individual that will surrender their life to follow and fulfill the will of God. And can I say, if there's one thing we need today, it's not more athletes or politicians or anything like that. But we need one young person, a young lady, a young man who'll say, I want my life to be a life that's surrendered and submitted to doing the will of God. Moses was born in a treacherous hour. He came into the world in a dangerous day. His nation was in turmoil and his people were exceedingly troubled. Israel was in bondage to the Egyptians. The people of God spent their days under the hot Egyptian sun. Their occupation was to make bricks for the treasure cities of Pharaoh. They didn't work for a day's pay. They just worked to make sure they could live another day. Their backs were no strangers to the whip of their taskmasters. Their life was cruel. Their life was hard. Pharaoh, in fact, commanded all the Hebrew midwives to kill all the Hebrew male children. Every boy that was born to the Hebrews was to be taken and then cast into the Nile River and fed to the crocodiles. It was a bad day, a dark hour, a hard time in the life of the people of God. But in those days when the nation of Israel was in its darkest hour, God allowed a young man to be born that would choose to be their deliverer and turn their darkness into light. A man and a woman from the tribe of Levi welcomed their new baby uh, into the world. For as long as that mother could, she hid her child in their home. She kept him concealed from the Egyptian, uh, Egyptians and from Pharaoh's soldiers. One day, when she couldn't hide him any longer, she made a hard decision. She looked in the face of her child, and then she walked down to the riverbank and gathered some reeds there, some, uh, some bulrushes there from the river, and she brought them back to her house. There she spent probably several hours weaving them together to make a makeshift raft in which to place her son. She took those bulrushes and covered them in pitch, and what a sad scene, a hard decision it was probably for that mother to take her son from her arms and place him in that little ark of bulrushes. No doubt it was a heartbreaking scene as she walked down to the riverbank and she committed her child to the providence of God. That little baby began to float down the river in that basket, not knowing what would become of his life. Downstream, I tell you, that's just like God to work it all out. Downstream from where that mother placed that baby in the river, Pharaoh's daughter came to wash herself with her maidens. They saw that little basket floating amongst the cattails. And as she approached the basket and looked inside, that little baby boy let out a cry and he won over the heart of Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh took that little boy, we know his name is Moses, to raise as her own son. And I tell you how good God is. God let Moses, his real mother, nurse him and raise him until he was old enough to go back into Pharaoh's palace. Can I tell you, it pays to... To trust God. You fast forward several years and that baby boy is now a man. Moses has been raised as an Egyptian. He's been fed at the table of Pharaoh. He slept in the palace of Egypt's royal family. He's come a long way from that little ark of bulrushes in the dangerous waters of the Nile River. He's no longer a child. Now he's an adult. Raised in Egyptian privilege. All of Egypt was at his fingertips. 
But I like it. We find that though he was raised in Pharaoh's palace, he realized his people were not in the palace. His people were those in the brickyards of Egypt. His crowd wasn't lounging in the silk attire of Pharaoh, but they were covered in animal skins and cruel coverings. He wasn't an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. And he never forgot his parentage. And can I tell you, we need some folks today that will remember that our home is not here. Our home is over yonder in the glory world. And my family is not outside the walls of this church. I'm part of the family of God. And I don't want to talk and walk and I don't want to look like that crowd of Egyptians. I don't want to get over my heritage and my parentage. And I'm glad to be born into the family of God. One day as Moses went to look upon the burden of his brethren, he saw an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew. Uh, Moses intervenes and in in doing so, Moses kills that Egyptian. He buries that man in the sand there in the desert. The next day, two Hebrew men are quarreling amongst each other and Moses goes to break up their disagreement and one of those Hebrew men sort of mockingly says, are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Suddenly Moses discovers his sin had found itself out. His his uh, his uh, wrongdoing was known. Moses was fearful as anybody would be. He flees Egypt and he goes off into the land of Midian. There in the land of Midian, Moses marries a woman named Zipporah. And his new occupation is to simply tend to the flocks of his father-in-law, who the Bible says in chapter 3 was named Jethro, the priest of Midian. Now back in Egypt, the Hebrews were agonizing under cruel bondage. The Bible says they sighed for reason of their taskmasters. Their cry reached the very ears of God. While Moses was in Midian, they were still making bricks for Pharaoh. While Moses was in Midian, they were still living each day under the threat of death. While Moses was in Midian, his brethren were still being used as the targets of their taskmasters' wits. God's people needed deliverance. They needed help. They needed relief. And they called out for somebody who could relieve their bondage and set them free from their captives. Can I tell you what we need today? We need somebody who's got a vision a little bit further down the road than just what they want to do tomorrow. We need somebody who has a vision of impacting their generation for the good and glory of God. Somebody who'll be deliverance for those bound in the chains of sin and bound by addiction and bound in the world and bound by things of the death. Somebody who says, I'll be that one who'll set God's people free. If God will use my life, here am I, send me. In Exodus chapter 3, we find Moses on the backside of the desert. He was tending the flocks of his father-in-law. This was just business as usual. I would say Moses had been to that spot several times before. He'd seen that mountain several times before. He'd even grazed those sheep there several times before. It wasn't an unusual place, uh, but something that day was out of the ordinary, out of the norm there on the mountain. As Moses was at the base of the mountain, he noticed up on the mountain that a bush was burning. It wasn't a bush like he'd seen burn before. It wasn't being consumed by the fire. Its branches weren't being dissolved by the flame. It continued to burn. It stayed on fire. Moses made his way with intrigue over to that burning bush. Verse number 4, look at it with me. The Bible said, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. As Moses turned aside to see that bush, suddenly a voice resonated from its branches. A voice unlike any voice he'd ever heard before. A voice that struck him to his very soul. A voice that he would never forget. The Bible says the voice of God began to cry out from those burning bushes. He called Moses by name. Suddenly Moses, Moses echoed through the caverns of the mountain. 
mountainside. This was Moses' turning point. This, up to this point, is the climax of his story. This is the point, this is the spot that God had been orchestrating his life around to bring him to. Everything else that had happened were pieces of the puzzle that fit together to form this important point in Moses' life. I'm saying this, Moses, having to be raised in Pharaoh's palace, was to bring him to this point where God could speak to his heart. I'm saying that riverboat ride and that basket down the Nile River was all part of the plan of God to get him to this mountain and that bush and that point in his life. I'm saying that Moses murdering even that Egyptian was used of God to get him to flee Midian to bring him to that point in his life. You see, behind the scenes of every trial and behind the scenes of every battle and behind the scenes of every question and lonely night, behind the scenes of every hour in Pharaoh's palace, the unseen hand of God was pushing buttons and pulling strings and flipping switches in the life of Moses to get him to that spot and that point. And I want to encourage you tonight. You might be here this evening and you wonder why did this happen? Or why am I going through this? Or why is my home like that? Or why am I raised over here? Or why did my preacher do that? Or my parent do that? Or why is my nation like this? I'll tell you why. God has culminated all of those things to bring you to this spot to this week. This place this week. This meeting this week. So that He might be able to speak to you directly and call you into something you can't even imagine. What a scene it was. What a spectacular moment in Moses' life. Our God who does big things in a big way has just chosen to speak to a man. Our God who does big things in a big way has just revealed to Moses that he has a big plan and a big purpose just for him. Our big God has just left heaven to come to earth in that burning bush to interact with one exiled man on the backside of the desert. One much bigger than him. The great I am had a commission, had a plan, had a purpose for Moses, and he was going to send him to do his bidding from Midian. And from Mount Horeb, Moses, we know, uh, he, he travels back to Egypt and his story takes on eternal significance. Among the great servants of God, you'll have a hard time finding any that were greater than this man Moses was. From the backside of the desert, Moses goes to Egypt. Moses was used of God to bring Pharaoh to his knees. The Hebrews would quit the brick-making business. They left the muck and mire of Egypt and pressed toward the promised land. Bondage was traded out for liberty. Slavery cast off for an exodus. Oppression discarded for emancipation. They traded the leeks and garlic of Egypt and they were headed for the milk and honey of Canaan land. It was Moses that God used to perform the miracles in Pharaoh's palace. It was Moses who lifted his staff and the Red Sea parted. It was Moses who then signified for those same waters to return and kill all the army of Pharaoh. It was Moses that led God's people forward. It was Moses whose hands were lifted in the air and gave them victory over the Amalekites. It was Moses that climbed Mount Sinai and got to see God write on those stone tablets the Ten Commandments. It was Moses who was given the format of the tabernacle. It was Moses who got to see the glory of God. It was Moses who saw water rush from the rock. It was Moses one man that God used to save his nation. That baby from the basket, that same Moses, that one who was raised in Pharaoh's palace, that same Moses, that one who grew up without his real parents, that same Moses, that one who murdered the, that same Moses, God used to do great things. Consider how different history would have been if Moses had not been used of God. 
Think about the order of the world even today. If Moses had of missed the will of God for his life, the people of God would still be in bondage. Look at what God did through one man. Look what God accomplished through one life. Moses had influence that didn't just last in his day. His influence remains in our day. We serve a big God. Our God can do big things through one life. One life is enough for God to accomplish the unthinkable. One life in the hand of God can change a family. One life in the hand of God can change a city. One life in the hand of God can alter the direction of a church. One life in the hand of God can turn the tide in a nation. When God gets a hold of a life, God can do big things through a little life that surrender to His big will for that life. Can I be honest with you tonight? And I'm going to make this make sense in a minute. Can I be honest with you tonight? I don't want to do something small for God. I want to do something big for God. I don't want to be normal. I don't want to be expected. I don't want to be average. I want to do something great for God. I mean, if God can do great things through Moses, I want God to do great things through me. If God can use Moses to impact his nation, then God knows that I want him to use me to impact my nation. If God can use one man to affect generation after generation after he's in heaven, I want to leave an impact that lasts long after my feet quit trotting the soil down here. If God can speak to Moses, I want God to speak to me. If he had a purpose for Moses, I want to know his purpose for me. If he can give power to Moses, I want him to give power to me. If he can use Moses like no one else in his day. But man, I tell you, I want God to use me like nobody else in my day. I don't want to do something small for God. I want to do something big for God. I've never met anyone who said I'd like to do the minimum for Him. Never heard anybody say I want God to use my life in the small way. Never heard anybody say I hope I can be a mediocre Christian. If you know God and you love God and you really understand God, then you want to please Him. You want to honor Him. You want to do something for Him. I want a Moses kind of a life. I want a Moses kind of a ministry. My prayer for you is the same. I pray God will use you greatly. Not so that we can watch you and say, look at Him go, because we need you. I pray God will use you greatly. I pray every one of you young men that surrendered to preach, God will use you to be a greatly used preacher. I pray every person in here that's going to go to a mission field will be a greatly used missionary. I pray every soul winner will be a greatly used and effective soul winner. I pray every single prayer warrior will be great in prayer and great in zeal and great in joy. And I pray God will use you in your youth group and in your homes and in your church to bring about a great revival in our day. I want God to use your life. Can I tell you, our nations need that. Our nation needs that. Our churches need that. Our homes need that. It's not just a flimsy thing that I'm saying. It's desperate in our day. We need that we need someone to do something big for God. I do know this much. God does have a plan for your life. God does have a purpose for you. Every one of you young ladies in here, God has a script written out specifically for you. Every young man in this building tonight, God has a purpose and a plan just for you. It doesn't matter your income bracket. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter what kind of house you live in. It doesn't matter. It does not matter your background. God has you in His heart and on His mind. He has a plan just for your life. But let me tell you why many of you won't fulfill that plan. It's not deep. It's not mind-blowing. It's just a simple truth. 
Do you ever wonder why there's not many Moseses? They've been washed in the same blood, filled with the same Holy Spirit, part of the same family. So what is it that makes one person a Moses and one person mediocre? Everyone wants his resume. Everyone wants his opportunity. But I believe there's a secret to Moses' success here in this text that unlocked the door to everything else he did in his life. Remember that quote I said at the beginning of the message? On how small an incident the greatest results may hinge. The pivots of history are microscopic. Look at verse 5, and we're about through. Look at verse 5, and he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Well, one of you young men on the front come up here real quick. Just wish everyone. Big things were in store for Moses. You stand right there. Big things were on the docket for his life. Moses couldn't even imagine what God was going to do. And so you sit here tonight, 15, 16, 17, 18, 12, I don't know, and you have no clue what God's going to do with your life. The big things, the great things that he wants to do. Moses couldn't have imagined the Red Sea parting. Moses couldn't have fathomed bringing Pharaoh to his knees. It never would have crossed his mind that he would be the one who'd uh, get the law of God and bring it to the people, and it would shape the societies of many nations until Jesus comes. He didn't know that. But the first command to Moses in verse 5 was this. Take your shoes off. Can I have your shoes? The first thing he said was this. I'm not asking you, Moses, to part the Red Sea. I'm just wanting you to take your shoes off. I'm not asking you to go to Pharaoh and stare him down and get him to bend. I'm saying just, Moses, simple, strange maybe, but here's what I want from you. Would you take your shoes off? Moses, I'm not talking about leading God's people forward. I just want you to take your shoes off. At that moment on Mount Horeb, the biggest thing going in Moses' life was not the things that were going to happen down the road, but the command of God for that instant. That was the biggest thing going in Moses' life. And it was a strange one. It was a small one. It was a simple command. But consider what would have happened had Moses not done that little simple thing and took his shoes off. Can I tell you, if Moses wouldn't have just taken his shoes off, Israel would maybe not be a free nation even right now. There might never have been a Joshua nor the walls of Jericho. There might not have ever been an Elijah. There might not have been a tabernacle laid out and then a temple. There might not have been the Ten Commandments which give us the governing of our society. If Moses hadn't done that simple, almost stupid, seemingly thing of take your shoes off, all the great things would have never happened in his life. Let me apply it. You want God to use you? Take your shoes off. You want to be a great preacher, huh? Take your shoes off. You say, I want to win a million souls to Christ. Take your shoes off. What's the difference between a Moses and somebody who doesn't do anything for God? Little things make big things happen. Take your shoes off. Everybody wants to pastor a church of a thousand. But few want to do the things that bring personal growth in their own life. Everybody wants to preach to millions, but few will go witness to one. Take your shoes off. You say, I want to do something great for God, and we can't even get you to listen to the right music right now. You're going to pastor a great church, and you can't even get rid of your country music now? Take your shoes off. It's a simple thing. You say, I want to be a greatly used servant of God, and we can't even get you to dress right. That's a little thing compared to the battles that come and the wars you'll fight. Take your shoes off. 
You say, well, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to be a missionary. I'll serve God in a foreign land. We can't even get you to come to team soul winning faithfully now. Take your shoes off. You say, what's the difference here? You can put those back on, please. Uh, you say, what's the difference in somebody like maybe some of these men and others who just kind of fizzle out? I tell you, there was a time in their life where they didn't esteem the small things of no use. But they said, you know what? If God's in that, then that's not a small thing. That's a big thing. I'll do that. And God used that like a step on a staircase. Take your shoes off, Moses. All right, now the Red Sea's going to part, Moses. Oh, here comes the Ten Commandments, Moses. But if he hadn't taken the first step, Nothing else would have come down the road. It was a small thing. It's a small thing to have the right kind of attitude. It's a small thing not to cuss. It's a small thing not to entertain wicked thoughts or look at bad things on your computer. And if you're not willing to do those little things, you're going to miss out on all these great things that God has down the road. Listen to this statement. Don't let us think that we need to be stars in order to shine. That woman just needed the light of one candle to find her lost silver. And can I tell you what? We don't need superstars. We just need somebody who will be their little light and do those little things, those menial things, those shadow things, so that God can promote them down the road to the great things. You can sit down and say, Moses, how did you turn into Moses? What made Moses? It all started in verse number 5. He took the shoes off his feet. It was small. It was submissive. But it was substantial. Here tonight, when you have aspirations to do something great for God, even if you don't, I want you to know God has plans for you that are great plans. What's the difference between somebody who sees those happen and somebody who fizzles out? Obedience in these little things right now. The most important thing God has for you is what He wants you to do right now. And if you fail that, you'll not have the chance to pass what's down the road. Take your shoes off.